This is Dump and Chase with Zach Staten. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dump and Chase, the podcast. We are getting very lucky with the people coming on, especially from The Athletic. We have another individual from The Athletic coming on today, Jesse Granger. He covers the Las Vegas Golden Knights for The Athletic, obviously. Jesse, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. The the hockey world is getting closer and closer to playoff time and it gets more exciting and you can just feel it in the air as we speak. It's March 9th. It's it's so close. It's so close. And especially as we talk for a team who is probably going to make the playoffs, I would say that's a pretty safe bet. The Las Vegas Golden Knights. You know, when we talk about the uh, the Knights being, you know, coming in, in about 2017 and uh, I don't think people expected this type of success, uh, especially in the first couple of years. And how well they've done and up to now it's just been absolutely amazing but uh yeah it's it's a fun time in hockey especially when we're looking at the nights and time of the nights but uh you know i think the first question to start off with uh with here is uh you know with the pacific being so close who do you think is the biggest worry for the knights you know we talk about the the kings the kraken the oilers everything is is very like tough in that space there's there's not much wiggle room and you can't mess up so uh how do you see that kind of going along there with the knights yeah i mean you're right the pacific is airtight right now it seems like every night the teams are kind of switching places uh in the standings vegas has kind of been on the top but just by a point or two and and seattle and la are kind of jockeying for position and the edmonton oilers have come on a little strong lately in terms of who their biggest worry is their biggest competition I would probably say the Oilers just because of the ceiling on that team right like I don't think the Oilers floor is as high as LA or Seattle I think the Oilers when they're bad they're really bad they give up seven goals sometimes but obviously when you have two of the best players on the planet and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl it's a really difficult matchup and we saw it last year's playoffs when those two turn it on they can basically take over a playoff series on their own um, and I think the Golden Knights, because they don't have the strongest goaltending um, right now, they are really struggling because they're all injured. But even when healthy, this team, that's probably the weakest part of this team is the goaltending. And I think a playoff series against two of the best scorers in the world can give you some worries. And then the other thing is, in terms of Seattle and L.A., uh, the Golden Knights have just matched up really well with those teams. I mean, Seattle uh, just beat in their in their most recent meeting that Seattle finally beat the Golden Knights. For the first time in two years, uh, they had been handled pretty, pretty easily by Vegas prior to that. Um, the Kraken are a good team. They have a lot of depth. They play fast. They forecheck hard. But I just think I think the Golden Knights can handle them. Um, and L.A., it's it's been a similar story in terms of Vegas seems to to match up really well against that team. So I would say I think they're all very close. I think any of those teams could come out of the Pacific Division at the end of the playoffs. But. If I were to say the Golden Knights would like to avoid this team, um, it's probably the Oilers. Yeah. And I mean, it, with with any playoff series, you especially what you mentioned uh, there in the past last year, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, man, that's a deadly duo. Like, I mean, even Dreisaitl last year in that series, I, I think he was playing on his like pretty much one one foot, essentially. Right. Like, the, the guy was the guy was not uh, in a good spot. And I guess his, his pain tolerance is way higher than a lot of others would be. But uh, we can just see how dangerous they could be, especially with their goaltending there too when we when we look at it like my, uh, i think mike smith was was pretty much the guy there and he wasn't you know amazing like he had good games and then you would have like really bad games as you mentioned there but it's just the way that they can control a game and really take control of a series and you give them goaltending or even just defense like that just changes everything but not to stray too far from the golden knights i mean they made a good amount of moves and when we look about the moves that they made uh some depth 
some even bigger. Um, you know, we see Dyson Mayo coming over from the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, we see Ivan Barbashev from the St. Louis Blues, who's uh, pretty much made a pretty nice impact. Uh, I mean, his last game almost had a hat trick there. Jonathan Quick coming over uh, pretty much from the Kings, but really from the Columbus Blue Jackets there. And then Teddy Bluger from the Pittsburgh Penguins. When we look at these moves, uh, obviously none of them are like the huge moves that some may have been expecting, like the Timo Myers or the Ryan O'Reilly's that we uh, heard of at the trade deadline. But what do these moves mean for the Golden Knights and how does this change their lineup? Yeah, they were all pretty much depth moves. I think you look at Bluger and Barbashev and they give them just another NHL forward as an option. This team isn't the deepest in terms of the organization. Like the guys they bring up from the AHL, they've had a lot of injuries, obviously, over the last couple of years. And the guys that they've brought up from the Henderson Silver Knights in those cases, um, whether it be Jake LeCision, who's now they got claimed on waiver, so he's no longer here. But Jonas Rambier, Pavel Dorofeyev, those guys, they just haven't been able to make impacts. Um, they haven't been terrible, but they're just kind of out there eating up minutes. They don't do a lot. And I think this team realized, OK, it takes more than 12 forwards to go on a long playoff run. You're blocking shots. You're taking hits. Guys are going to get banged up. You're not going to make it through the playoffs with the same 12 forwards you started with. So they thought, OK, how can we get a couple extra bodies so that a Paul Cotter is a healthy scratch? And when someone goes down like William Carrier did the other night, Paul Cotter goes into his spot and you feel so much better filling that spot with a Paul Cotter than you do with a Pavel Dorofeyev, who's been playing all year in the AHL. So I think it gives them more bodies. Um, it also gives them a little more defense and a little more grit. This team has plenty of talent, plenty of skill in their forwards. They score in transition. Where this team gets in trouble, and they've done it in the last, they missed the playoffs last year, but the two playoffs before that, both times, the reason they lost is they couldn't get to the inside. They couldn't find ways to score dirty goals around the net. They don't have the guys to do that. They've got the guys to score fancy goals in transition, and that kind of goes away in the playoffs. So you get a Teddy Bluger who plays good defense. You're not afraid to play him in your in his defensive zone. He's one of the highest defensive zone start guys in the league. It allows you to give more offensive opportunities to like a William Carlson, who's kind of had those duties in the past, but uh, Bluger's taken some of those off of his plate. And then Barbashev, he just goes to the net. I mean, you mentioned he had two goals. He's got points in every game so far playing alongside Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsha. So he basically is just crashing the net and letting Jack Eichel and Marsha. So do the work and, and he'll put the puck in the net. If you get him, if you get him the puck and he he's, he's battling for loose pucks around there. So I think they're both really good fits. They, like you mentioned, they're not the big splash. I definitely don't think that they are the move that puts the Golden Knights over the top. Um, I still feel like there are plenty of teams in the league better than the Golden Knights right now, but NHL playoffs are crazy. Things happen. I do think that this team has a shot, but I don't think this deadline improved them enough to make them a favorite in the West or certainly not in the NHL. We'll get right back to the podcast, but first these messages. Most people say hockey is 90% mental, but rarely do hockey players work on their mindset and mental skills. If you want to start playing with more confidence and consistency, then be sure to check out Upper Mentality for all your mental toughness needs. They are proud to train the minds of elite athletes and teams across the AHL, OHL, NCAA, and more. Check them out at uppermentality.ca to book in a no-obligation call. You can also find this in the description of the podcast. Now let's get back to the program. Yeah, I mean, when we when we talk about the favorites and then the, the names that kind of blow up into us, the first one is the Boston Bruins. I mean, the way that they've been playing, like it just with the Stanley Cup in general, not just the West, but 
Um, I mean, the Boston Bruins. But when we look over at the West, I don't really think there is a is like a solid front running team. Like there, there, are, there are teams that are better when we look at their their roster, their lineup, the players that they put together. But it's very close. Like we see like the Colorado Avalanche, like they're getting better on like a good day when they're all healthy. That is a very solid top six. And that is a very good team. We see the Dallas Stars, who I think are being a little bit slept on just because of their record, um, but still still very solid up front. Like, but I just don't think there's a team that's kind of like put themselves away, I, I guess, not just in the standings, but has kind of like pushed themselves out, or at least not as of yet. Like we see teams like the Calgary Flames, or even the Edmonton Oilers, they had a really rough start. And even now, Edmonton is a bit better now, but the Calgary Flames have not been able to find their game really yet, whether that means, you know, you look at the roster and who they brought in, or it's coaching or front management. You know, we we we, talk, we can always speculate about that, but um, it's interesting. Like, you know, I do think from watching the Golden Knights, I, I, I took an interest to them when they first came in the league. The way that they choose to build their team and how they build their team, I, I, I wouldn't say is is not ideal to the to the to the common fan. They would they'd be very kind of like, oh, what are they doing? Like they're just kind of letting contracts go left and right. They're training these players that they had from before. And I mean, we even saw that, you know, from years before with Marc-Andre Fleury and when he came in and then when he was moved, people weren't happy about that. But you know what? I mean, you make those tough decisions and at the end of the day, hockey's a business. So the Las Vegas Golden Knights have found a way to do it. And I mean, you win, you win. So <laughs> you do it that way and it works out. But with Mark Stone being out, obviously that, that the back uh, injury that's been a problem for him in the past, uh, and that hurts the Knights. I, I think that would be an understatement to say that it does hurt the Knights. I think it's a, a it's a huge kind of you know blow to their lineup. But with his skill that he provides, he also provides leadership. And we saw that him being the captain of the team. And, you know, from you being around the team, you know, writing about them, you know, just kind of knowing kind of like what's going on in that way and what you've learned in the organization. Like, what do you think? it looks like in a, in a common day for the Golden Knights, you know, who are those leaders that you've kind of like picked out? Who are those big guys now with Stone being hurt? Who do you think should step up? Is it like a Petriangelo? Is it someone like Carlson who's been there for a long time? Where do you see that kind of happening, especially with playoffs coming up? This team that's like I just mentioned earlier, I don't think that they're really like I, I still am skeptical on this team in terms of it's the chances of winning a Stanley Cup. And that's it's 100% because Mark Stone's back injuries. Um, if Mark Stone was healthy, I think the Golden Knights are the favorite in the West. And I think they have an, a, a legitimate chance to win the Cup. But two back surgeries in eight months, the team is hopeful that maybe he could return for the playoffs. But even if you get him back, I just don't see him being anywhere near the Mark Stone that that you need um, in order to go on a run like that. So um, and, and like you mentioned, his leadership, I mean, this team's not the same without Mark Stone. Uh, last year, I think that's the single reason they missed the playoffs is not just his talent on the ice, but the team is just not the same without him. He's such a fiery player, like just nobody loves hockey more than Mark Stone. This guy, I mean, everybody jokes about how crazy he is when he scores goals or when other teammates score goals. Uh, he, he loses his mind. He just is. He brings the energy. He brings the work level. He, he when it when the guy making nine and a half million dollars that's the captain is working as hard as he does in practice and is working to back check the way he does in games, it sets a good example for everyone else. So I think that it's a huge hole to fill when Mark Stone's not in there. But having said that, this team has a lot of veteran players. I mean, you mentioned a couple, Petrangelo, um, Riley Smith is a big team leader guy. Like he's not loud. He's he's kind of the quiet type. He's he. But when Riley Smith talks, the rest of the room listens. Um, I I really 
think Riley Smith is is a big part of this team. They've also got some veterans that haven't been here as long, but like Alec Martinez has won two Stanley Cups, uh, and he's a popular guy in the room. Petrangelo, former captain. Eichel is a former captain, and he may not be the, the leader type, but he's definitely a guy that can help them out in this situation. Jonathan Marcheseau is not the traditional captain leadership type guy, but he's just an energy guy who everyone loves. He's constantly making everyone laugh. Um, I wrote a story recently about all the games he has them playing in practice where they're betting on who will score more goals. And he's just, he brings a competition level. Nobody wants to get beat by Jonathan Marshall. So in anything like the goalies want to stop him more than anything in practice. That's the most important shots they're facing. The entire practice is when Marshall is coming in because they know he's going to harass them nonstop. If he scores uh, in drills, they do not want Marsha so to win the drill, so they'll try as hard as they can. So, like, I think Marsha so is a big part of this team in terms of the leadership and on the ice, but just in a different way. Yeah, this I mean, this team has plenty of leaders. I, I think they've got like Mark Stone is a big loss, but I think that in terms of the leadership, I think they have the guys to to replace him. Like, even a guy like Braden McNabb is not someone that people think about, but he's been here since day one. He's he's a anchor on that back end. He's a quiet guy who handles his business, and it's just a just a consummate pro back there. They no lack of leadership on this team. And who wouldn't want that? I mean, like when you look at a team who has a lot of, you know, you look at like like the gel, right? You want people to be comfortable. You want to have multiple leaders. You don't just want to have one because even if you do have just the one, you have you need other voices sometimes. And that's that's exactly what you're like pointing out there, right? You have people having fun in practice, random reasons, whether that's trying to score more in goals, but everybody's having fun and right that that and that's what it's all about. And I'm sure uh, you know, the the new guys like Barbashev, Quick, um, Mayo and all those and Bluger, right? I'm sure they're finding that out pretty quickly that it's uh, it's definitely a place where, you know, it's it's nice to be. Uh, but even just talking about Jonathan Quick, uh, you know, with the trade for Jonathan Quick, there's there's a, a bunch of reasons that you'd want to make that trade. The single handedly first reason would probably be that the depth and, you know, there's so much injury going on in there with Logan Thompson, right? There's there's not much that you can really do. Uh, but the other side that you could also look at it is that the experience that he brings when he comes into a team, especially, you know, winning cups, being on an, a Kings team that was so successful for such a long time, though he isn't having, you know, the best season. When we look at him and how well Hill's been playing recently, even just Thompson, too, even though he's hurt, uh, where do you see Quick playing that mentor role, trying to help them kind of find their game, especially with playoffs approaching? I'm sure that's something that they'd be looking into. Um, and how they would kind of play it. But how, where do you see Quick kind of going in there and um, not just as a mentorship role, but also, I guess, playoff time? Yeah, I mean, speaking with Jonathan when he came over, um, he basically said, I'm here to do whatever this team needs to help them win. And he even mentioned, like, I've got a lot of experience. This is an inexperienced goalie room. I think I can help these guys. Um, having said that, I think it's tough for a goalie who's not playing to to do much in terms of like adding that stuff. I think when you're not in the net, you're kind of just, you're, you're always ready. You're in case something happens. And by the way, something did happen. Aiden Hill is hurt. And now it looks like Jonathan quick is their number one goalie, at least for right now. Um, the team's obviously hoping that that's very short term because on the ice, I don't think the Golden Knights expect much from quick. I think this was simply a we have three injured goalies. If you count Robin Leonard two, if you count just Thompson and Bersois. And the only guy we've got left, Aiden Hill, is 
an injury prone goalie who has struggled to stay on the ice throughout his career, both in San Jose and Arizona. And he was just coming off an injury himself. So it's like, and they had a heavy schedule in March with a game every other day. So they're sitting there saying, man, are we really going to put all this on Aiden Hill? And their only backup was Michael Hutchinson. They basically said, look, quick is a cheap addition. It only cost him a fifth round pick. And he's a veteran who we, we don't have to worry about. We can just get him, plug him in, put him in the net. And you've got an NHL caliber goalie. I think they saw adding quick as an upgrade to Michael Hutchinson. I really do. Um, I don't think quick is going to beat out any of the three that they have um, when healthy, and that's Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, or Loren Bressois. I think when all of Vegas' goalies are healthy, Quick is the fourth goalie on the depth chart. So um, that can change. Bruce Cassidy did say he's going to give Quick a chance to prove that he can still do it, and it's been a long time since he's done it. You mentioned he's not having a good season. Um, I would argue Quick hasn't had a good five seasons. <laughs> he's been pretty bad for a while now. Um, in terms of stats, he is amongst the worst in the entire NHL. He obviously, when he was at his best, he, he definitely has a higher ceiling than these other three goalies on Vegas, but I don't see him as an option in the playoffs. Um, we'll, that'll obviously depend on the health of the other three, but I I do not expect Jonathan Quick to play in the playoffs if the Golden Knights have other healthy options. You mentioned Aiden Hill. I mean, he prior to getting hurt the other night, he has been spectacular for this team lately. Um, he's had a couple really. I think he's playing the best hockey of his entire life, and he's a big guy. He's six four, six five. Um, he stands tall in the net. He moves pretty well for a guy his size. I mean, people have had high hopes for Aiden Hill. I mean, when he was in Arizona, people thought maybe he's the one of the better young goalies in the league. San Jose gave up a second round pick for him and he just kept getting hurt. So the Sharks kind of gave up on him. Um, I don't think Aiden Hill is ever going to be a like high caliber starting goalie, but he's showing the potential lately that that maybe some some teams saw in him early in his career so hopefully the injury isn't too bad and he can come back i wouldn't be surprised if if aiden hills this if, if he can come back and and play as like he has i wouldn't be surprised if aiden hills the goalie going into the playoffs and i don't really think a lot of others would be surprised about that either especially with how he's played recently it's uh, it's been spectacular. I mean, he could be moving himself into like one of those 1A, 1B kind of goaltending tandems that we see uh, throughout the league. One of them being, I guess, they look at the Toronto Maple Leafs with Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. A little bit different now with the injury, but uh, still that same type of thing that we saw at the start. But uh, kind of like a side question here, talking about the playoffs and how would you want, you know, the team to look? When we look at lineups, what is like your ideal look? For the playoffs now let's just say just for a keepsake that mark stone cannot come back like just it won't happen for the playoffs what's your ideal lineup uh like looking at like the forwards defense and then you mentioned you probably want hill in a goal uh, but what would that look like for you yeah i mean i think that it definitely improved like barbashev bumping up to that first line helps them a lot because it it gives them a non-elite top six guy that can fill in there and produce and it allows you to move the the other guys down the lineup so i think i'd probably stick with that top line barbashev eichel and marcia so it's been working well although marcia so hasn't been scoring it as much as he'd like but you know how that is they're streaky you can get that going um the second line right now it's been william carlson uh with riley smith and michael amadio but i think if nick waugh comes back and is healthy um he's currently injured with lower body injury right now and it doesn't look particularly close to coming back but i do think they expect him back by the playoffs so i'd like to see waugh has mostly been a fourth line guy this year last year when Riley Smith got hurt at the end of the year, they bumped Waugh up with Carlson and Marcia So, and he had his best season of his career. He scored like 15 goals when he got a 
pretty nice contract out of it. And then this year, because they've been healthier, he's been kind of relegated to that bottom six, that fourth line role, and he hasn't produced offensively. The offensive flashes that they saw last year have kind of disappeared as he's playing on more of a checking line. So I would, I think, and like Cassidy has mentioned, wanting to see more offense out of Nick Waugh. So I'd like to see Waugh bumped up with with Smith and Carlson to see if they can get some more offense out of him. Um, and he provides similar to what Barbashev does for Eichel and Marcheseau, just a big net front presence. I think Waugh can do the same thing for that line. Um, and then you go down to the third line. William Carrier just got hurt. He's out indefinitely, according to the team. I Right now, there's no timeline on if he's coming back or not. If he does come back, that line is William Carrier, Chandler Stevenson, Phil Castle. Um, they've been searching for a combination that works with Castle all season, and they found one in that with, with Carrier and Stevenson. That line was working really, really well prior to Carrier getting hurt. So I don't see any reason to change that. I think Stevenson and Carrier are two of the fastest skaters on the team. They can kind of fly around Kessel, who's a really cerebral guy. He can make good plays. He sets them up. And then Carrier is that net front guy on that line. And that leaves you with the fourth line of Brett Howden, Teddy Bluger, and Keegan Colasar. Um, that is a checking line through and through. Not a whole lot of goals coming out of that, but it's three guys you can trust in the defensive end. And that's something the Golden Knights haven't had in a while. Like even going back to their like when Ryan Reeves was on the fourth line, he was kind of a liability defensively. Like he's out there to to hit guys and to provide a physical presence, but you couldn't really start him in his own end. And that forces William Carlson and Riley Smith to be defensive players because they don't have a fourth line they can trust. So every time you get a defensive shift and it's against a top line, the coach really doesn't have an option. I got to send Carlson and Smith out there. That's the only guys I can trust to not give up a goal in this situation. And that obviously takes away from their offensive chances. I think fourth line with Bluger and Howden and Colasar is a safe, trustworthy fourth line that you can eat defensive zone starts with and give more offensive zone shifts to Carlson and Eichel and, and Stevenson. So um, I think it's a pretty solid lineup. I don't think it's the best lineup in the league. I think there are four or five teams that are significantly better. Um, but I think the Golden Knights biggest strength is probably on their blue line. So um, I guess their forwards don't have to be the best, but I think it's a solid lineup. It looks a whole lot better with Mark Stone in there if they can somehow get that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out, especially with Carrier too. And as we talk about this, the Vegas Golden Knights currently sit with 38, 20 and six on the season. So not too shabby first in the uh, Pacific. So I mean, sitting pretty well, but as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, very close, 82 points tied with the Los Angeles Kings game in hand. Uh, but just to finish off the podcast here, I, I always like to ask, you know, writers and yeah, people around the team, but what is your favorite story from writing, reporting, et cetera? Like, what, like what's what's something that sticks out to you in the time that you've been able to, you know, be fortunate enough to, to be in a position like this? Like, what's the, what's that story that kind of is the one that you'll always remember and you'll tell somebody because it just made you smile or, or, you know, whatever that, that way. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of good ones. This covering this team has been a lot of fun over the last six years. Um, I think the coolest thing that I've gotten to do when I covering this team is three years ago, it's before the pandemic, man, the pandemic has like totally messed up my time frame. I, I think it was three years ago. Um, it was just before the, the pandemic had happened. Uh, I got to go on a trip to Quebec and um, the Golden Knights were on that Canadian road trip and they were playing Montreal and then they went down to Boston and instead of following the team down to Boston, I stayed up in Quebec and I got to uh, visit Marc-Andre Fleury's hometown, a tiny little town called Sorel Tracy um, in, in Quebec. And it's all French speaking, like not a word of English spoken in this town. And I do not speak French at all, but it was just such a cool experience. Like I, so I booked a hotel 
and I figured, okay, I'll just take, like, I have all these play flurry was incredible helping me. Like he gave me a bunch of numbers for people he knew there. Um, he gave me a bunch of addresses for like the rink, the outdoor rink he grew up playing on the indoor rink. He grew up playing on the rink. He played his first game at like all these different places. So I'm like, okay, my plan is to take a bus from Montreal out there. And then I'll just take a taxi around this town and I'll just have the taxi driver stop and let me out or whatever. Anyways, I get there. The bus drops me off. It's in the I'm talking snowstorm. And in Montreal, train the bus station is like this massive building. I was kind of I don't know why I was expecting that, but that's what I was expecting in this tiny town. And I get out. And it's just a bench. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I'm t I'm texting Fleury's goalie coach, um, Steph Menard. And by the way, he only speaks French. So I'm texting him and translating it to French before I send it to him. And he like I literally went on this store, like to, to his hometown to base, like Marc-Andre Fleury is the nicest human being on the planet. Like in a sport of awesome guys, he like stands out like all his, like every player you ask, he's their favorite teammate they've ever had. I basically sought out to find like how, like, why did he end up like this? Like, I want to find out why Fleury is the way he is. So um, it was really cool because I found out like all the people I met, I, I, got to go to his sister's house and hang out with her and just everyone that he grew up around is just like him. Um, and it basically told me the story of why Fleury is the way he is. So anyways, I'm sitting at this bus stop texting this guy that I've never met and I'm having to translate into French. And Steph tells me, oh, I'm not that far from there. I'll come pick you up. I'm like, oh, okay. Comes, picks me up, drives me back to his house. His wife starts cooking, immediately starts cooking breakfast. So she's cooking us food. And I'm like, I'm, I'm having, I have my phone where I like would speak into it and then it would speak the French for them. And then they would speak into it in French and it would pop it out in English for me. That's the only way we could communicate. And they're asking me like, oh yeah, what hotel are you staying at? And I tell them and they're like, oh, that hotel is actually on the other side of the river. I'm like, okay, no big deal. There's a bridge, right? They're like, no, there's no bridge. There's only a ferry that goes across. I'm like, oh, what time does the ferry go across? They're like, oh, the ferry doesn't go across today. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? How am I supposed to get over there? And he's like, don't worry about it. Cancel your hotel. You're staying with us. So I stayed with them the whole time I was out there. Um, he, Steph, personally drove me around to all these places. Um, it was so cool. He drove me to Flurry's childhood home where, where Flurry grew up and we're, we're parked out in the street and I'm taking photos of the house to go with the story. Guy comes walking out of this house with his daughter and they've got like a sled and I'm like looking like a weirdo taking pictures of their house. So I'm like, okay, I should probably go tell this guy why I'm taking pictures of his house. So and of course he knew he's like, yeah, I know we bought Flurry's old house. So, and, and I told him why I'm there. I'm a reporter. And he's like, yeah, come on in, come on in. So they invite me into the house. He takes me downstairs, shows me where Flurry's bedroom was, opens up this like electrical cabinet. He's like, yeah, this note from Flurry to his wife. We found it when we, when we, it ended up not being something written by Flurry. It was written by Flurry's best friend to tell Flurry how to, uh, what to say to his girlfriend before he leaves her for to play junior hockey uh that summer anyways so many cool stories from that trip um that is a trip i'll never forget the story i wrote is to me the best story i've ever written i don't know if i'll ever write a story better than that one um the story of how mark andre fleury became who he is um 
and just the so many cool things. I didn't speak a word of English to anyone the entire time and still had like the coolest experience. It was it was a lot of fun. So that's that is the uh reporting on the Golden Knights. That is the thing I will never forget. Talk about an unreal story. My word. Like that honestly, I I talked with Michael Russo before. That might top his, but he was he's pretty good. But like that was <laughs> that that's was impressive. Like- Michael's been doing this a long time. I so I do the podcast with Michael on Wednesdays to the athletic oh, hockey yeah. show. So I know Michael really well um and he's he's actually <laughs> quite a bit so he and i know each other well he has got some stories man that guy he's been doing this for so long um i hope one day i've got as many stories as michael does i i will say the one that he had with the the parisian store was pretty cool i, I don't know i they're both they're both very close because i mean any story that i hear it's new to me obviously so i mean anything that i'm here i'm gonna be like whoa that's pr- pretty cool like so i mean take my opinion with a grain of salt but that is in that's nuts i mean like even just the way that you saw the way that he grew up like or he grew up and and uh you know where he's from and like even like seeing his sister and the people that he knows and it just it it shows so much about who he is as a person right. and then how everything kind of came around and that's just amazing i mean and the way the way that it kind of like went around especially with especially with booking a hotel and then it's oh was the fairy come out no oh <laughs> yeah, i was totally screwed yeah but again Everyone that I met was so nice. They were all a bunch of Marc-Andre Fleury's, so it worked out. A town full of Marc-Andre Fleury's, that is probably a town that you would never want to leave because everybody would be insanely nice. I mean, when we talk about, uh, you know, hockey and just the stories that come from it, it's it's truly a game that's beautiful. And I'm I'm glad that it's growing to more places and to more people. And from the grassroots, we see it into the more that it grows. Uh, It's something that is just amazing. Come to the end here. Uh, Jesse, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you giving me your time like i say at the end of every podcast people give me their time i appreciate them and i will always will to each their own i I appreciate that and i appreciate you so thank you awesome yeah thanks for having me